Good morning. It's good to be with you today, and I feel like I need to start this lesson, this time on the stage with uh, a greeting that I heard here many, many years ago. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a great day it is to be with you guys today. Uh, I am glad to be back uh, here with you. If you're watching online, if you are uh, watching later in the week, we're glad that you're with us as well. And as we've said, it is Communicators Weekend. Uh, we're having eight different speakers across all of our campuses, and uh, I'm humbled to be included in that. Whenever Rick and Taylor were just talking, they talked about speakers from the next generation. I don't know about that with me. <laughs> I think I'm the past generation, but uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys today. In fact, today I'm going to reminisce a little bit with you uh, and share some photos with you, some snapshots that uh, are on my heart. And most recently, because I feel like I need to update you because it's been a while since I've been here, Stacy and I just got back from a trip to Alaska where we went on an Alaskan cruise. Uh, we did this to celebrate 35 years of marriage. Uh, but we also did that, thank you that she put up with me for 35 years. We also did it to celebrate 30 years of ministry at the Hills Church. And so we were able on that trip to look back and to reflect and think about the things that we're thankful for. In fact, we started at the Hills Church on September 1st, 1992 as a family of three. And uh, Carly was a baby and that family has grown now, you'll see from three to 13. And that doesn't include our latest, Bonnie, that was born three weeks ago and is here in church with us today. So a lot of changes have happened in 30 years for our family. But when I think about our church family, a lot of changes have happened as well. 30 years ago, I was hired as the youth minister for the Richland Hills Church of Christ that had one service, one campus filled with purple pews that met right here. And now today we're sitting as a church with three campuses, soon to be four, in Dallas, and just like my family of three has grown to 13, this church family has grown and changed a lot as well. 30 years has flown by, and my memories are filled with snapshots that remind me why I love this church so much. And so today I'm gonna share five snapshots with you that I believe set this church apart, that make it the church that it is. And these five things are by no means an exhaustive list. Because if I was gonna talk about everything that sets this church apart, I would far exceed my 30 minute time limit. And you've got kids with you today too, so you sure don't want me to do that. So the first snapshot that I have for us that sets the Hills Church apart is that the word of God is foundational. We have to start with the very first thing and that's the importance of the word of God to this church. There's a high value on God's word. And I believe it starts in the pulpit. I threw in a picture of Rick from back around when I started so you could enjoy a good picture of him when we wore suits every Sunday. That's another thing that has changed through the years. But it starts with Rick in the pulpit and Taylor in the pulpit 
And when I look back through the times of being here over 30 years of uh, John Jones and Larry Calvin and Chris Seedman and Jonathan Stormit and so many others that faithfully fill this pulpit to give you God's word and lean on the truth of that word. You know, the first time I was asked to preach here was soon after I'd come. And I can still remember where I was. I was walking with Rick down a fairway at Diamond Oaks Country Club. And he was talking to me about preaching. And he said, now I understand you're probably gonna be nervous and you may forget some things because you're nervous. But don't be unprepared. Because if you're unprepared, you might not get a chance to preach again. I'm 25 years old. I was coming here from a 300 member church and that's what he tells me before I stand in this pulpit. But he tells me that because he values the word of God so much that if we're gonna be up here and we're gonna share with you guys, we have to be prepared from God's word. Not perfect, but prepared. There's a high value on God's word. You know, I've seen that through the years as our elders have studied before making big decisions that affect this church. They've studied months and even sometimes a year before they would make a decision that would impact us because they depend so much on the word of God. And I've seen that through Morton Jeffrey's Bible. It's a picture that I have in my mind of times that I go to the hospital or time that we're praying over people and Morton has his well-worn Bible to read scripture over people. Or times when I'm in meetings with Rick Work, one of our shepherds, and Rick always has a word from God. To start a meeting, to end a meeting, to encourage us, the word of God is foundational. We read in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You know, just look at the things that that scripture talks about, that God's word teaches us truth. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do right. It prepares and equips us to do his work. And don't miss that. The word of God doesn't just sit it goes to work in our lives. So we don't just study the word, but it equips and it prepares us to, do, to go and do his work. And I've seen his work be done through the Hills Church because of the foundation of his word. And that's where we need to start when we talk about what makes the Hills Church special. The second thing is, and this point doesn't fit grammatically, but you're just gonna have to stick with me. I couldn't make all of these rhyme like Rick does. <laughs> but praying with is different than praying for. The second snapshot that I have of this church is about prayer. And it's about praying with people. Whenever I first moved here, I had lived a life as a Christian at that point for 25 years. I was raised in the church and I had many people tell me through the years that they were thinking of me. And I knew when they said they were thinking of me, what they meant was that they were praying for me, but they didn't pray for me. They told me they were thinking about me. 
Or maybe on a rare occasion, someone would say, I'm praying for you. But uh, when I came to the hills, I was fighting some illness. And one of our elders, Roger Dean, called me. And on the phone, Roger was checking to see how I was feeling. But before he hung up, he said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. But before I go, can I pray with you? And he prayed over me on the phone. And I've got to tell you, my memory is getting spottier the older I get. But as far as I can remember, it's the first time anybody had prayed over me. And I've tried to live that out. Where if I'm going to tell somebody I'm praying for them, why not take the next step and pray with them or pray over them? Because that makes a difference in our world. In fact, when I think about this church, you may not know this, but I feel like you need to. Our elders meetings, we meet once a month with our elders and ministers. And the sole purpose of that meeting is prayer. Is for our shepherds to pray over our el- for our shepherds to pray over our ministers. We give them our prayer request, and they'll pray over us that night. And I've got to tell you, when we have ministers that come to our staff from other churches, they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with an elders meeting where prayer would be the main focus. But that shouldn't surprise us about this church, because each week you're given the opportunity to be prayed with, to be prayed over by our prayer teams and by our shepherds. And I stand before you today as a believer in the power of shepherd's prayer. In James chapter five, we read, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When you lay that scripture out, and you get to talking about confession and healing and sickness and praying with the elders, it blows me away that every week when we have an opportunity for prayer, that there's not a line outside the door. That we have weeks that nobody will respond for what's offered in this passage. And our elders have oil, they'll be glad to anoint you with oil. They'll be glad to pray for your healing. But this passage extends beyond our elders. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Church, that we would pray over each other because the prayer of a righteous person avails much. And we need to be leaning heavily on the power of prayer. Praying with is different than praying for. The third snapshot that makes the hills so special is that grace is extended. Grace is extended. You know, for the 30 years I've been here at the Hills Church, and I know many before that, it's always been about people. In fact, look at the logo that I found from 1992. People matter to God. We always talked about this being the Allstate logo, that you're in good hands with Allstate. 
but people matter to God. That's always been true here. I think about sometimes the thousands of people that may have first heard grace preached from this stage. You know, in fact, I think it's probably the motivation for the initial growth of our church. People from legalistic backgrounds came to the Hills Church and first heard about grace. People from broken marriages came to the Hills Church and first experienced and received grace. It's always been about people. And we read in Romans 8, 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And you've heard that verse many times in many sermons here. And Rick has often said he's not a Greek scholar, but when he's looked at the original meaning of the word no in that, word, in that verse, it means no. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we want everybody that comes to this church to know that, to know and experience the grace of God. But that grace not only lives inside these walls, it's extended beyond these walls as well. And when I think of ministries that have been started because of this people orientation, the desire to take the grace of Jesus Christ outside of these walls, the Community Enrichment Center, Open Arms, Christ Haven for Children, Bread for a Hungry World, Our Father's Children, and Teen Life. All of those were started from ministries in this church with the desire to go be Jesus to the community and to show that there's no condemnation. And in fact, we continue to do that now, church. Through our Ask for Nations and Generations vision, ministries such as Celebrate Recovery to help people with their hurts and hangups and habits, as well as Dash Network where we're uh, offering help for asylum-seeking families. It's always been about people. People matter to God. And the extension of grace is a snapshot of this church that makes the Hills family what it is today. And so we've got the word of God. We've got the emphasis on prayer. We have grace being extended. And the next snapshot that I have for you is that unity in the body is highly valued. Unity in the body is highly valued. This is a big church, now a big church with multiple campuses. And this may come as a surprise to you, but there's big diversity in opinion here. <laughs> in fact, this may always also surprise you. Our elders don't always agree with each other. They don't see eye to eye sometimes on the things that come up. And I've been a part of many long discussions where there's been disagreement to wrestle with decisions. Yet time and time again here, I've seen this leadership make the point that no individual's opinion is more important than what's good for the body of the church. They try to live out Ephesians 4 verse 3 that says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Live it out. Make every effort. And I've seen it lived out. There's been many changes 
that have happened in this church through the years. In fact, the very first Sunday that Stacy and I came here and there was a praise team on the stage instead of one song leader, Stacy looked at me and said, can they do that? <laughs> and I wonder how many things through the years that this church has done that you've wondered, can they do that? And it's been long discussions through the night, many long meetings from praise teams to instrumental services to Bible class changes. And in these meetings, diversity of opinion is expressed. And sometimes they could get a little bit heated. And I remember my snapshot for you of this uh, point is one of these meetings about our instrumental music decision was going long in the night and there was a time that a decision needed to be made and Pascal White, one of our shepherds, spoke up. And Pascal didn't speak much, but when he did, it was worth listening to. And it was usually gonna be a story, a story that at the end of it, you would be convicted. And as in this room, there was all this uh, uproar going on, Pascal said, you know, when I was a banker, we used to take loans and there would be loan applications and we would sit in a meeting and we would discuss those loan applications. And there was a difference of opinion on whether or not a person should get a loan or not. And we would discuss it in that room. But when we walked out of that room, the bank either gave the loan or didn't give the loan. And when Pascal finished, the room got quiet and we understood that even though there could be difference of opinion in that room, when the elders walked out, the church either made that decision or didn't make that decision. And it's that value of unity that Jesus prayed about for his followers in John 17, where he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So that the world will believe you sent me. You see, our unity with God and Jesus puts flesh on the gospel. Because if through our differences, we can find unity, it helps the world believe in Jesus. But this is increasingly harder in today's society. I know when I was a young minister, there was a saying that if people in the church liked what you did, they would tell you. And if they didn't like what you did, they would go tell the elders. Unfortunately, I saw that played out some. But now it's even changed to where it's true. If people like what you do, they tell you. But if they disagree with what you do, they post it on social media. And make no mistake that our lack of unity that's seen in the world hurts our witness. Because the unity in the body helps the world know that God sent Jesus Christ. And church, we have to hold on to that value of unity in the body. It's so important because my fifth snapshot is that staying on mission is critical. The fifth thing that I've seen from the leaders through the years here is that staying on mission is critical. That unity is vital because our leaders never wanted anything to throw them off of mission. 
Because Satan will do anything to distract us. He'll attempt anything to get us to lose our focus. And we can't do that because the mission of the church is unchanging. The wording of mission statements may come and go, but the mission we receive from Jesus comes from Matthew 28, verse 19, where he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Like I mentioned earlier, there's been a lot of changes that have taken place at this church to help us reach the mission. One of the statements that we say quite often is that mission trumps tradition. And there's been a lot of traditions that have changed. Some of them have been bigger than others. But there's a snapshot that I wanna share with you that happened before I came. And it's one of those legends that you wonder if it's even true, but I've had it uh, verified several times about one of our elders, Don McCann. And Don is the third from the left in that picture. And Don, back during the early 70s, there was a time when the church decided they were gonna have donuts in Bible class. And this was a change to a tradition. And there were several people that didn't like that change, but there was one of our members that was especially vocal about it. And so one Sunday, Don came up, put his arm around this person and said, you know what? Next week, I'm sure that there's probably 10 churches within a five mile radius of here that won't be serving donuts. But if you come back next week, we will be. And we hope that you'll be happy with it. And it's that type of legacy of the mission, even if it seems as silly as donuts, that we're not gonna let something take us off track. The leaders have modeled that for us. And there's been personal sacrifices for the mission, personal preferences, personal comfort, financial sacrifices that many of you may have made to help create space for more people to come to know Jesus Christ. In fact, I wanna commend you right now. You're doing it right now. You're sacrificing again for the mission for the next generation. And we're not gonna be distracted by a lack of unity or by things that Satan would put in our way that might distract us because staying on mission is too critical. 30 years ago, who would have dreamed that the Hills would have three campuses and one about to begin in Dallas? Right before I came, the church was having financial difficulty and I've heard through the years from Arnold Pitchford and others that one of the things that was talked about was pulling missionaries off the field, saving the money that we were using to spread the gospel around the world to take care of the financial problems back at home and the elders wouldn't hear of it. They weren't gonna sacrifice the mission. And now look at that legacy, church plants, missionary families around the world, and even a Christian university in Uganda, Livingstone University, all because the mission, let's, that's right. All because the mission is critical 
We live in a world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and our mission of making and growing followers of Jesus is just as important today as it ever has been. So as I wrap up today, you might think that I think the Hills is a perfect church. I know that it's far from perfect. In fact, I wanna read a passage to you that you're gonna wonder why I'm reading it and then I'm gonna hopefully close it well. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. See, Christ loves the church and he gave his life for her. And Paul uses bride uh, analogy here. And I think it's easy when you're close to the bride sometimes to see fault. See, I've sat on the stage, stood on the stage in many weddings through my lifetime. In fact, one of the weddings that I did was right here when I did my daughter's wedding. And when you stand this close to the bride, sometimes you can see the faults in the bride. Maybe a pimple popped up that morning. Maybe they've been crying and mascara has run down their face a little bit. Maybe even though they've had four hours of a makeover, they've got a hair out of place. And I can see those things. But whenever the bride gets next to the groom, the groom sees no flaws. You can see in my son-in-law's eyes the look of a beautiful bride. In church, Jesus came to love his bride. And I wanna end with this comment to you. While I realize that the Hills Church has many imperfections, the bride is beautiful to the groom. Don't miss that. Don't miss that we can sometimes be so close to this bride of Jesus Christ that we point out all the flaws in it. But Jesus died for the church. He died for the bride to make it blameless, without blemish. And that's what he sees when he looks at this church. And I wanna thank you for letting me be part of this bride for 30 years to walk alongside you, to walk with you through victories, through mistakes, through things we'd like to do over, through things that have blown us away that we can never imagine again. But as we wait for the bride, for the groom to come back for this bride, can we do it by standing on the foundation of God's word? Can we do it by praying over each other? Can we do it by extending grace? Will we wait by showing unity? And would we stay on mission? These times are too important. And as we look back, it helps us look forward to what's gonna sustain us into the future. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, I thank you so much for the honor of being part of this bride of Christ. God, that you have blessed us with great resources, that you have blessed us with great leadership. 
God, that you have blessed us with men and women that have made sacrifices for the mission that we could learn from their example. God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ that gave his life up for the church, that we could be seen spotless without blemish in his eyes. God, thank you for Jesus. And may we keep the focus on him. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.